the good, the bad, the ugly. Welcome to Sustain Nutrition's podcast, Chewing the Fat, where Joe and James will be discussing all things good, bad and ugly regarding training and nutrition. So pull up your pants, put your best foot forward and get ready for some serious oral pleasure. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Joe and James. Sustain. Nutrition. Chewing. The. Fat. Podcast. Mystery podcast. Joe doesn't know what this height is. You ready? I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> would you rather? Is that would you rather? <laughs> marathon man, Joe. Let Joe. Let's talk about your marathon. Joe recently ran the Rob Burroughs Leeds Marathon. I think you should be celebrated for it, Joe. You did a fantastic effort. Terrible time. Not joking. <laughs> <laughs> I had stuff in it was a hilly course. It was hot too. <laughs> he was wearing a deep sea diver suit, but raised a ton of money as well. So I want to, you know, celebrate a little bit around that, Joe. Talk me through it. I guess that's, that's it. Up. Absolute, <laughs> an absolute monologue. Well, I suppose, kind of, where did they start? Why, why did you decide to run a marathon? Because someone else suggested it not too long ago. Many moons ago, I thought, uh, in fact, a gym class that I used to go to with you, and there was a guy there who was ooh, in his late 50s, in his 60s, he was a distance runner, and he worked really hard, and I had a lot of respect for him. I still do. And he said, you'd be good at distance running. And that kind of put the seed in my uh, in my head. And then when I was at a fitness event with Chrissy a couple of months back, somebody said, I'm doing this. <clears throat> I think they even said, I'm doing Leeds Marathon. You should do it. And I was like, oh, I could do. And someone else said they were doing a distance run. And I thought, oh, I could do that one. And I thought I would really like to. And it, I've had this in my head for quite a long time. I wanted to do a big event for charity. And I just I'd kind of fall out of love with weights a little bit and maybe recognise that goal wasn't serving me and thought I'd take on a new one. So. Yeah, I tackled the. Uh, I thought I signed up for the two races there and then, and and that was that. I'd made a made a made a commitment and a decision, so off I went. Being as pig-headed as you are, um, but no, I, I mean obviously it's a huge, it's a life achievement. I suppose next question would be, well, I already know the answer, but the list is, well, would you do another one? Yeah, absolutely. I think I, you know. You know me quite well, so I don't tend to do things by halves. And when I have an idea, I'm off. And because this is an idea that I could do unchecked, you know, every idea I have for sustain has got to run through James. Whereas if I decide I'm going to do a fit- fitness event, then I can go as far and wide as I want. And I said that I wanted to do an ultra marathon, and so actually I'm going to try and run 100 miles in a day at the end of this year. So marathons are kind of par for the course now. And actually, I did really. It was the hardest thing. I've, one of the hardest things I've ever done, if not the hardest physically. And I think. I was embarrassed. I, you know, you have these thoughts, don't you? When you see, see marathon times, I remember someone, someone I knew said they ran a four and a half hour marathon. And I really arrogantly thought, it's pretty slow, that isn't it? There's people who do them in like two hours. And then I was just, I had to work so hard to get four and a half hours, you know, and there were a lot of people in front of me and there were a lot of people behind me, even more people behind me, you know, and it's, it's just such an undertaking on your body, you know, for me as a, as a, anybody it's hard work me as a large mammal like carrying my weight that far i did a the week before i did a 24 mile run to see if i could and i couldn't couldn't do 24 miles the week before like my i could i could hardly get up the curb because my joints were so sore 
And so when I did the Leeds one, I went quite a bit slower to start with and running downhill, I was just getting overtaken and overtaken and overtaken, like literally thousands of people pouring past me. It was only because I fucked up with the last, every, I've done three distance runs and I fucked them all up by running too quickly. And so this was the only one that I got the timing right. And it, my body just about held out, but it's just like four and a half hours on your feet. It'd be hard enough if you were stood at a desk, let alone like trying to cover the, the distance as well. And me and Chrissy were driving around recently. I was like, oh, this is where we ran. I was like, oh, we should drive it now. Like, no, it's 26 miles. Even if we're in the car, we'll be there for an hour doing yeah. the whole route. And you just get, the, the route was from Leeds to Otley. So I used to go out for nights out in Leeds and Otley was where my parents lived. And it always used to be a joke. Like, oh, do you reckon we could run home? Or do you reckon you could get home? And it's like, I literally did it. I ran home and then I ran back out as if I was going back for a night out. <laughs> and it just, yeah, it's just such a, such a big distance. I did not have the respect for it that I have now, having not done it before. I think, yeah, it's a, a shocking realisation. I had to, when I was speaking to Tanya about this, about you running it. And I can't remember, I think I said like, so it takes me about 35 to 40 minutes to drive to my mum and dad's house. And I was like, mum and dad's house is 18 miles away. So it's that, and then half of that, pretty much again, that Joe's running. Like that, that's a marathon, which is absurd. Maybe you think about if someone's had to drive like four minutes, I can get to Manchester in four minutes from Leeds. And you're like, I would never run it. <laughs> Obviously, I'd be going a bit faster. But that whole idea of the time thing, like you said, you know, people wouldn't, probably wouldn't shop for four and a half hours, like nonstop, without sitting down, without taking a break without stopping for a coffee. It's the idea of, yeah, just non-stop running for 26.2 miles. And it was a nice warm day as well. It was a warm day and it was a, it was a hilly course too. It was when I did some of the training runs. And so I said, I live in Harrogate. And my parents live in Otley. And I thought, oh, I'll run to Otley and back. And oh, I'll run some of the way to Otley. And then you go, oh, hang on, it's 11 miles to Otley. So actually for the run I want to do, I've got to run there and back and then do a bit more. And I think when you're planning this stuff, you know, when you turn up and do a race, obviously they've closed off loads of roads. When you try and do training runs for it, you're like, how the hell do you work out where a 20 mile loop is? Mm. So you end up doing one of the runs I did was I like ran out from my house and back. And then I did it twice and I had to set off again. This is when I tried to do 24 miles. And so by the time I did 19 and I had to leave my house again, I could have cried. Yeah. It's like, just once I'm at my house, I'm literally at my house right now. I can go in and get a shower and get the shoes off and sit down. I've got five more miles to do. And on the big day, I'll have seven more miles to do. And it was that was probably the one of the mentally hardest parts I had. And I think just with all this stuff, it just is so like it's just because people say, Oh, you know, how do you do it? Like, and all the training wasn't that hard. It just takes time. It's just like fat loss, without being rude to people who struggle with it. It's just not that hard. It just takes lots of practice and lots of time. And if you can just get yourself out the front door often enough, then people are able to do it. Yeah, there's some, some solid analogies to fat loss, isn't there? It's that taking that first step, starting at a sensible pace, it's consistency. You know, you're not going to get to run for a marathon if you just run once every three weeks. Building up those miles, you're getting the miles in your legs. And then I think a big thing that you said there is like running your own pace, not getting distracted by other people. Because if you had, I know you told me, like the pretty much everyone that passed you Except for you know people who finished in like two hours, <laughs> they probably didn't pass you. They probably they started ahead of me. I assure yeah. you. <laughs> you know you were caught up with them, and I suppose you know we'll make it slightly about fat loss. Is that 
you know, we we're just speaking about before a thing we were talking about clients and conversations. You know, I was speaking to a lady who said, told me she'd only lost two stone in six months. Only, only lost two stone of a six stone goal in, in six months. And she quit because she believed it was too slow because she believed that she deserved more than that. And that forced her to stop two stone into a six stone, you know, like a third of the way there. Like, well, it's not happening quick enough, therefore I stop. And I suppose the temptation, and I, I kind of said this a little bit because I know how competitive you are or can be. I was like, I hope he doesn't get caught up in like trying to keep up with other people. I hope he runs his own pace. What you get from experience you got because you fucked up because you went and did your cross-country run and gassed out and the other things and got tired and, and injured. But, yeah, I suppose, how, how did you ensure that you, you ran at your own race? What were you doing? I had the data. was definitely some of it. I think I just want to go back. She's mentioned something before I kind of put that question up was about the, the mindset things, everything, and, like, your expectations from it. And that lady's expectations that she should have lost more than two stone meant that she had a bad time. Or she had an, an unenjoyable time or an unsuccessful time. And actually, if she just adjusted that, like it's not the result that needs adjusting, it's the way that you think. And I, you know, went into mine because I'm not a natural runner, you know, I'm six foot three and the best part of 16 stone. Is that really helped take some of that pressure off of like, this isn't meant for me? This isn't something I'm meant to be brilliant at. I'm doing this for me. And so there wasn't an expectation of what I should achieve. But I think when it comes to weights, I often have that expectation of I need to, I, I sit, I, it's not just I want to be bigger, like I need to be bigger. This is so important to me. And actually, I didn't have that with the running. And I think some of that is probably the mental work that I've done to let go of some of that stuff. And it's who I am. You know, this is this is just the way it is. I'm not going to be the, the bodybuilder. You know, I'm not going to look like our mate Liam as much as I might like want to look like that. That's just not how it is. That's not the way that that's you know, the hand that I've got. So this is how it is. And then I can choose what to do with that. And a really good analogy, I don't know if I told you this before, you know, the first mile, trotting along, doing so to tie into two, the other question you asked, how did I know what time to pace? I knew that nine minutes, 30 miles shredded my knees. So I was like, I'm going to do 10 minute miles. And so I just ran at 10 minute miles. And the first few, I ended up doing a little bit slow. And I thought, well, I can just pick this time up later if my knees are okay. And at first, you know, I had my book on, I was talking to this guy who was running along with me. Everything was really nice. Got to just over halfway and I was like, I, I can't, I, I'm struggling to even listen to this book because the internal chatter in my head is now so loud, I can't focus on it. So like, I'm just going to put some music on and I'm going to focus on things that I can see as I run. And then towards the end, it was just like the negativity in my head about how tired I was was just all consuming. And you see this in fat loss. When it's easy and people first start, everything's so easy. And then the internal chatter gets louder and louder. This is too hard. You can't do it. I need a break. I deserve a treat. Prepping food is really hard. All that other stuff. And people listen to it. They don't have the ability to switch off from it. And the people who are the most successful are the ones who find a way to manage it and keep going even when it's hard. And that's just, I think the thing I'm proudest of with the marathon is, is that. It's just like I set out a goal to not stop to not walk, sorry, and to run the whole thing. And I was able to do that because I had the data, because I knew that 10-minute miles were about right. Interestingly, about halfway, I was like, so 10-minute miles gets me to finish at 4.22. So I obviously typed it all out on my phone. I was like, right, if I run at 9 minutes 20, 
I can finish in under 4.15. So I worked it all out and I did the next couple of miles in under 9.20. I was like, this is okay, I can do this. But there was an absolutely massive hill like that I knew existed because it's where I used to live. And it just, yeah, you know, I had those expectations, but then they weren't realistic. And so I kind of course corrected and went, right, I'm going to go back to those 10 minute miles and, and just try and hit that. Because that's, you know, that's what, that's what I'm physically capable of doing. You know, it's fine to have those goals and those expectations, but hold them lightly. Because I thought, right, metal to bring my time down. Oh, no, I can't. Okay. Well, I could have made, yeah, I could have made that experience really negative and go, well, actually, you know, I changed. You see this all the time, don't you? I want to lose a stone. People get near it and they go, no, I want to lose two stone. Well, okay, hit that goal first. Oh, it's fine to aim for two stone. Then be happy with one. You know, recognize what you have achieved. So I kind of had a goal. I was on target for it. I moved the goal. Oh, I'm not going to get that. Okay, well, I'll just, I'll jump back down then. I think it's the first time I've ever achieved something and finished something and thought, I'm really proud of myself. I'm really pleased with how that's gone. And I think it's almost quite a sad thing seeing it took me to the age of 33 to get to that point. And I wonder if that's, because it's very easy to go, it's because you've never run a marathon before. No, I don't think it's that. I think it's because of the way that I've changed, the way that I think about life and I think about achievements. I think about myself. And it makes it much easier to then go, so what? That's really good going. You've done something really good there. And if I could get that much pleasure out of smaller things in my life, I think my life would be happier for it. Yeah, a couple of things. I'd say that with that achievement, though, but I'd look at... Again, this is slightly off topic, and this is just people listening to a conversation between me and you now. What other what other areas in your life have like an end date? You know what I mean? So we talk about you know getting stronger. There's no mm. end to that. You know, you might go, I want to deadlift this weight, but you know, when it's when you hit that 200k, then all of a sudden you want to do 210, and then you want to do 220. You want to add that, whereas the marathon has got very definite, like I finish here. You know, you can always get leaner, you can always get bigger, you can always get stronger. So I wonder if that's a bit of a, maybe a sliding scale on that, like, sense of achievement. Like, this has a very definite, this is a start, and this is the end, you know what I mean? Possibly. A friend of mine said, did you finish and immediately think you could go faster? And I was like, not really. I know I can go faster. I look forward to going faster. I wonder if I, I do think a lot of it's just to do with the way that I think that's kind of, I also think some of it's to do with the amount of money that I raised and knowing that I, you know everyone else donated money but I'd been the instigator of that was was a very satisfying feeling and to know that it's because of something I'd done you know and the reason I chose the distance running was because it's like the charity that I'm supporting a break crisis is just one of the hardest things that people can ever go through you know, it's got to be the most challenging, one of the most challenging experiences a human being can go through. And so how do I mimic that? Like, I don't want to do a skydive. I don't want to do a sponsored walk. I want to do something that's worthy of that charity, I suppose. That's something that's like people look at and go, oh, my God, that is that is worthy of my money. Hmm. And that's worthy of me giving a little bit more. And, and it's such a minor struggle for you as well. You know what I mean? In comparison, like you said, it's, it's yeah. four and a half hours of, of struggle. Well, obviously, I'm, I'm completely pooping all the hours and hours of training. Just ignore that. Like you just turned up. It's, it's four and a half hours of you struggling physically and mentally compared to what someone who's experienced that is doing. Like, like, literally a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was my thought is like, this is possibly the closest I can get without, you know, submitting myself to some form of trauma. And I, I still have talked into it. It's still totally different. You know, you're not having it forced upon you. Uh, yeah, it was just, 
I think the, the and the further that I can push into that, I think the more that it resonates with people. I think that link's quite obvious that it's a charity for people who are struggling, and therefore there should be a an element of that that is a big struggle for me. How motivating did you find that going around? Because that's when it goes beyond you. It's not you just turning up on a Sunday morning going, "I'm going to run twenty six point two miles on a Saturday morning." When it was it Saturday? I can't remember. Um, was it a Sunday? There you go. There's it's bigger than you then, isn't it? Because although people are already paid, you know what I mean? It's not like when you used to do it at school and you go around and you get like a 50p fix and then you have to go around and collect somebody after to go like, oh, I didn't do it. <laughs> no, that never happened. I always did it. How motivated did you, or how much more focused did you get from the fact that you've done with charity? Because for me, the charity stuff, it's the accountability. You have to turn up because you've taken people's money to raise money for this charity and you can't just go like, you know what? I've not done the training for it. I'm not ready for this. I don't want to do this. Did you find that like kept you focused and kept you motivated? It de- yeah, it definitely kept me focused and motivated in the training. There's that age-old philosophical question, isn't there? Is there any such thing as a selfless act? And like raising money for charity made me feel really good. And so I don't think that's a bad thing, Joe. But even when I was running around, what the thing that probably was the most motivating was the number of people there. You know, I'd never, if you'd said to me the difference that it makes, I'd have just gone, nah, that's bullshit. I don't believe you. And the difference in having people there, like clapping and shit, just having bodies there, just people watching what you're doing. It was really interesting because there's like, obviously 26 miles, the whole route's not covered with people. And when there are big pockets of people, you get overtaken more. Yeah. Especially the first half when everyone's had some gas in the tank and you'd notice it, like, because I had my time and that was it is there about this piece surge of people and then it would stop and then you'd hold your hold court again and then you get to the next group of people there'd be surge of people and i think a friend of mine who's done over 100 marathons and ultra marathons said it was the best one he's ever done and that you know he's done london marathon before and he just said the turnout was just unbelievable and i think in hindsight now i would i'm looking i've signed up for it next year i'm looking forward to doing the last mile when you go through headingly because it was just packed but I was just so fatigued by then. Because one of you know, as you wouldn't know if you haven't done these things, lots of little muscles tire, and you know, I've got a big head. So my head is heavy. <laughs> my, my chin was basically on my chest, and like my neck was tired from just holding my mega sweet above my shoulders. And so, you know, for large parts of the end, I was just looking at the floor. Because I was, you know, I'd, I'd really have to consciously look at people's head, uh, you know, the, the hairline ahead of me. Uh, and there was just so many people for that last bit. There are a few pockets, like Otley, where I'm from, was just, just crazy. There were just thousands of people, like, and people cheering and clapping, and it just makes the world a difference. And I think, you know, whilst it was for charity and, and having that motivated me through the training, I don't know. Would I, I'd, I'd have definitely still got it done if there'd been no one on the course because that's just how I am. But the biggest thing that was motivating on the day was the people. And, you know, I would just say if anybody's ever like there's a, a, a any kind of sporting event near you, go out because it just makes the biggest difference to the runners. And actually, people must have enjoyed it because there was, you know, there must have been a hundred thousand people I ran past. So people must have got something from it. I think so. Just being part of that, like you said, you know, it was a huge one. I really think the Rob Burroughs kind of aspect of it brought a lot more people out because it's, you know, everyone's working. For the same kind of charity, are they kind of raising money uh, for the Rob Burrows? But then obviously, you've got their individual. Actually, you never mentioned how much money did you raise, Joe? 
think I raised £1,605. And I believe that they raised, thank you very much, James's air, air clapping. I believe it, I believe the whole thing made like four million for the MND charity. Amazing. Uh, as, as an aside, uh, so Kev Sinfield was pushing Rob Burrow in his wheelchair. I think they finished about five minutes ahead of me. I can't imagine how hard it was getting up that that hill because it's, mm. it's like a three mile hill. I don't know what the elevation is from start to finish, but it's just this long, slow, steady hill. And Kev Sinfield pushed Rob Burrow past me near the start, and he was flying. I know the guy's done like seven 40-mile races in, in a week, so he's going to be quite a bit fitter than me. And then there was another point, and like the, the wave of noise that followed them, because all the runners cheer for him, everybody makes more noise for him. There was another point further on where they must have bust a wheel or something, because they were doing something to the wheelchair, and he came back out. And again, it was just like this surge of noise. I just can't imagine what it it would have been like in the stadium when he when he came in. It must have been must have been incredible, you know. And fair play to the guys. He's I, for people who don't know, he's was a figurehead of Leeds Rugby League for a long, long time frame. Um, and they used to call him Sir Kev because of his contribution to Leeds Rugby. And you just think like he's just he is going to get knighted, isn't he? He's just done such a good thing. Uh, I don't. You probably won't remember this, but they used to train at Virgin Active, and he was. Always the most polite one. Bear in mind, he was the captain of the club and he'd been there for a long time. And I remember they'd leave and he'd be like, see you later, lads. And he'd be like, cheers, mate. Have a good day. And I remember it standing out because he did it a few times. I thought not one of the other blokes has been as polite as him. And he is the head honcho. And I just thought that was such a such a small thing that sticks in your mind. Like to not even just say cheers, but to have mm. a mini conversation when you said goodbye to him. And I thought, what a, all the stuff that people say about him yeah, from the tiny interactions I've had with him, you could believe a trip. No, they were always uh, lovely guys. I've got a little Jamie Jones Buchanan story. Go for it. it. Quick one. Everyone on the podcast would be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so when I used to work his head down at the town, I used to come down every so often, not often, he's very well behaved. But he'd always go and queue and I'd be like, what are you doing? Just come <laughs> down, just just queue job. But he'd never come up, he'd never assume. You know, you used to get people come up like, uh, I work for uh, Harvey Nichols Menswear, like, work in a shop. Get in the queue. Like you're not better than the rest of these people. You work nine to five. Go queue up. Uh, I'm on the guest list. No, you're not. So I'd always go in and then I'd do it. And then I'd like, you don't have to queue. Just come see me because he's such a nice guy. And then he'd go and he'd do it again. He'd do it again. And then he's like, look, I'll give you my number. If you ever need anything, just let me know. And he started me out with some free tickets for, for one of my uh, really close friends. Just a lovely, lovely guy. And then when I see him out about, he'd always say hello. And you're like, he can't remember me. <laughs> Surely not. And he probably don't, but he's just such a nice guy. But I find that with a lot of the Ruby guys, it's like super, super city gents, lovely guys. I just wanted to touch on something that you said earlier, tying into fat loss, was the idea of you knew that running, I think you said like nine minute, 20 second miles destroyed your knees. Whereas like a 10 minute, was it 10 minutes? Correct, yeah. Yeah, 10 minute miles. So that difference of 40 seconds you kind of knew was the difference between almost like passing and failing, mm. which seems like so insignificant about 40 seconds. And then even like that extra effort of trying to go a little bit faster to get, I think you said it was like 428 to 422, which seemed, you know, it's such marginal gains, but such a massive drop off or a higher percentage of you possibly failing. It's just not worth it. And again, to tie it into fat losses, when you see these people like, no, I have to go harder, I have to go faster. Like, you know, I was speaking to one of my clients who's, you know, sailing along, she's losing like a pound each week, you know, regularly, she's doing great. 
It's like, I want to increase this. I want to go, I, I want to lose more quicker. It's like, okay, but you've got to understand that we're going to have to compromise some of the things you can enjoy. We're going to have to be more on it with your food choice, you know, not restrictive, but you're going to have to be more aware of what you're having. You know, do you feel restricted at the moment? Or, you know, are you prepared to do that? We're going to have to, you know, nail down your activity a little better. We're going to have to be a little bit more, yeah, awareness and tight around your nutrition. Are you prepared to do that? She's like, actually, no, I'm really happy with what I'm doing at the moment. I'm happy with the weight that I'm losing. And that it's that temptation to go faster than that temptation to go harder. But, you know, from your experience, like that's the tipping point between I'm not going to finish this race, so I'm going to finish it, but I might finish it eight minutes later, slower than I thought I was going to, than I predicted to. And again, just another thing is the idea of like, this is my goal, 4.30 or 4.28. That's what we're aiming for. doesn't mean that if you finish in 4.34, you feel terrible. Or you finished in 440 because you did, you know, predict the hill or how hard that would be. Like a goal is something that you're aiming at. It's not a contract. You're not going to get to that finish line. You'll go, oh, Joe, look at the clock. It's 429 and then shoot you. And it's like, so arbitrary, aren't they? It's like even the goal I've picked, like 10 million miles, like it's just because it's not, it's a nice round number. Yeah. The only proof I had, you know, because everything else I've run has been like 920s or better. And so I was like, okay, that doesn't work for, and I need to go further. And I think for most people, like their issue is not losing weight quickly. It's been able to get more weight off because everyone knows they can lose the first stone, but it's the second or third one they struggle with. So if that if the process that means that you keep losing a stone and regaining it, why are you following that same process? That's like me saying, well, my knees blew up at 22 miles doing nine minutes, 20. So I'm just going to try it again. And I think one of the useful things from that is it was so painful. Yeah, you know, it was such a learning experience that like, it wasn't like I just I just about got home. You know, I had to like walk the last mile and a half, like my knees were in bits. And you go, well, I'm not fucking doing that again. That is so that was so sore. That was that was such a, a strong lesson. And I think sometimes that people I guess the problem with fat loss almost or the the rapid fat loss is you do get the results. Mm. And then the negative, oh, it's only because I stopped trying. It's only because I gave in. But you gave in because of the process. And so you can't mirror up the two. You always have to link these things together. And I think it's a bit like when people think about high-calorie food, they go, oh, it would just be so delicious. And I just love chocolate and a glass of wine on Saturday nights. And, like, and then you look through that questionnaire that I'm disgusted with the way that I look and I'm miserable and I hide from photos. This is the same thing. This is the two sides of the same coin. And you keep just looking at one side of the coin. You keep looking at how nice and delicious these foods are with a complete disregard for the negative side of things and we use it like one of the examples we use is a dysfunctional relationship oh you know my girlfriend is is really mean to me and she says all these horrible things and she's messaging other guys and she you know doesn't answer her phone but it's really nice when we go out on dates yeah what what are you doing you wouldn't suggest anybody gets into that relationship so why would you why are you pursuing something else in your life that has the exact same effect that's this totally poisonous relationship i'll put a slight tangent there always Pulled it around to fat loss. That's what we do. Eat more protein and more vegetables. Uh, just <laughs> slip it in there for the SEO. Um, so yeah, what 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 we I suppose what were the main lessons learned then from uh, from that marathon that you're going to use moving forward? Start at the right speed. Learn from your mistakes. You know, which would be having optimal nutrition. Have good support. You know that all the other races I've done, I've had to carry my own water. 
you know, so setting off from home with a pint of water is a bit of an inconvenience. So having the support of uh, the, the aid station and stuff like that, and let alone the, the other support around that, <laughs> obviously, because I'm trying to sell our services, I'm going to get a coach. You know, I've, it's so hard to just do this stuff on your own. I was talking to a lady the other day who's a really good runner, fantastic level runner, and she was saying she's never had a coach. And she's like, well, you know, I do really well without it. I was like, I've been running for less than six months and I'm not built for this at all. I still want a coach because I want to just squeeze out those extra margins. I want, I need, I don't need the accountability, but I want it. I'll help, you know, and, and that's, probably, that's probably the biggest one is I've done it with a bit of a half-assed approach. And that's great. That's really nice. And it's well done me, but there's a better way of doing this. And I think if you have that attitude, then you can, you'll always do better. Yes, yeah, that's a belter for me that idea of like well i've done all right on my own like i know but could could you have done better could could this have been easier could you be improving on what you're doing now like you don't well, want to explore that and very interestingly i saw my old pe teacher at the finish line and i, I he said to me oh yeah how's your training but i was like oh yeah i did 24 miles last week and 23 miles last week my legs couldn't hack it anyway that was a stupid idea and i was like you are and he was like why did you do that? I said, oh, was it really? He was like, you should not be doing anywhere near that distance a week before. I and thought I like, 20 miles was like the top one. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. And for yeah. him, somebody who's run more marathons than me and knows more, you know, what I thought was the right thing to do was totally not the right thing to do. I did, you know, the, the best that I could. I had a rationale behind it. Turns out it was wrong. So it's, it's just getting that outside perspective that can immediately make them, you know, a massive difference, a massive difference. And it's being humble enough to, to be open to that help. And I think a lot of people struggle with that because the people like, you know, I like to be right. Me and you, anytime we have a discussion about sustain, I want my idea to be taken on board because I like no. it. But it's then being able to step back from that when you're obviously not right or just a chance, excuse me, getting someone else's opinion. Well, Joe... Congratulations. Thank well you. done. No, amazing. I said to you that I was like, it came around quick. I remember you saying you were going to do it, but then it seemed to come around extremely quick. So when's the next marathon? Or what's the plan to get you ready for an ultra? Well, nothing booked yet. That's, and I've, I've not run since the marathon because I've got some other projects on now with, with work-wise. And so that's the problem, isn't it? When you've not got that goal, you've not got that ticking time clock, it's very easy to let these things go. So, you know, a week off is fine. 11 days you're starting to push it a bit so i'm just going to start doing a little bit again but it's just having that balance piece too isn't it about you know there's times in your life you can do more and times you can do less and at the moment i just do have a lot on so it's being realistic so yeah we'll we'll be looking into a coach i'm doing the great north run in september which will be the next charity piece i do i might look for a couple more like long distance pieces but yeah ultimately get a coach <laughs> it's going to be my thing because it just takes all that guesswork out and if someone says to me you need to go and do this marathon. You need to go do 15 miles on this day, then I'll do it. You exactly. know, I'm, I'm quite good at, despite liking, enjoying arguing with you about sustain, I'm quite good at doing as I'm told as well. So, But it's different, you know, when I speak to people in the gym and they're like, oh, what are you training or whatever? Like, I just do whatever's on my program. I pay someone else. So, you know, we were speaking to a lady then, like I've been PTing for the best part of 20 years. I've been training since I was 15. I pay someone monthly to set up my training because I'm more likely to do it. I'm more likely to sack off exercises that I don't want to do if I've set them to myself. You know, that external accountability, you see, moving into more of a sales pitch, 
is massive for me just doing it. Right, what do I need to do? Right, okay. And today's workout sucked. But I did it because that's what was set for me. You know, if it was me, I'd be like, oh, you know what, sod this, I'm not going to do this. I'll just go sit on the air bike for a little bit, 30 minutes and watch Netflix. So, yeah, having someone there to, like you said, take the guesswork out and to make you do the stuff sometimes that you don't want to do. Not make you do it, but strongly suggest it. You go, no one can make you do it, can they? Like, no. you know, we've got clients who do that, who pay lots of money or, you know, a, value, a fair price, I would say, for the service offered, but who just don't engage in it. And that you, that's fine. You can't make people do it. No amount of uh, money or external accountability is ever going to solve the problem. Like, it's going to help, but it, it does come down to you in the end. So one thing that you can't outsource is your, your health and your fitness. I remember a particular lazy PT client, we said that to him, like, if I could get in your body and do the work for you, I would do. But you just have to put in more effort, so to speak. <laughs> right, Joe. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I surprised you by springing that, but I thought I was going to do this last week, but then, you know, you blew me out on the podcast, so. <laughs> That's fine. Back to normal service for the next podcast where we'll be talking more about protein and vegetables. The benefits of your fat loss journey. Right. Thank you for sharing, Joe. Thank you for listening, as always.